Hi, and welcome to the Part 3 with me podcast. The show that helps Part 3 students jumpstart into their careers as qualified architects and also to provide refresher episodes for practicing architects. I am your host, Maria Scudari. And this week, we will be talking about third-party rights. Uh, So today's subject covers PC3 of the Part 3 criteria. Now let's start by defining who and what is a third party. So a third party is an entity or a person or persons that is involved in some way in an interaction which is mainly between two other entities or persons. So the third party may or may not be officially part of the contract or the agreement between the two primary entities or persons. Now let's look at what third-party rights are. So third-party rights are created under the underlying contract itself and to create them uh, no separate form of contract is required. So they are an alternative to collateral warranties which we covered in the last episode and the use of third-party rights was enabled by the Contracts Rights of Third Parties Act 1999 and it essentially affects the law in relation to privity of contract. So if privity of contract is in place, this causes issues to third parties who, unless they are expressly stated in the contract or have a collateral warranty, they won't be able to benefit from the contract as this depends on the enforcement by the parties to the contract. So it can be frustrating to third parties when the contracting parties don't take the necessary steps to secure the benefit. And this can be either because the contracting party is unwilling to cause friction or confrontation with the other contracting party, or because there is already a dispute between the third party and the contracting party who can enforce the benefit on their behalf. So an example of this is where a contractor has a contract with the client to pass on to the subcontractors payments. So the contractor has a contract with the subcontractors and a separate contract with the client. So the contractor may be expected to pay the subcontractors on the client's behalf when they have finished the work. Uh, But the client has no direct contract with the subcontractors and so the client can only badger the contractor to pay them in order to continue with the work because they are the one that have the contract with the subcontractors. So that's where it gets a little bit complicated when there is no direct contract between parties or at least a subcontract between parties. So before the Contracts Rights of Third Parties Act 1999 came into force, the best a third party could do was to attempt to persuade one of the parties to sue the other on their behalf in order to be compensated for the third party's lack of benefit. But of course the risk is that the party to the contract doesn't want to waste their time and money to sue the other party, so the third party ends up not benefiting at all or not being compensated for what they're looking for. So to resolve the privity of contract issues for third parties, this is where the Contract Rights of Third Parties Act came into effect to give third parties direct right to use um, on the relevant contract. 
uh, and its aim is generally not to remove privity of contract, but to create uh, an exception. So looking more specifically at the Act itself, it provides third parties with the right to enforce a term of the contract where either the contract contains an express term to that effect or where the contract purports to provide a benefit on that third party. So in both instances, the third party must be expressly identified in the contract, either by name, class or description. But this information doesn't have to be in place at the time of the contract. So the third party, in essence, can enforce positive rights, such as a claim to payment and defensive rights, such as an exclusion clause. But a key thing to note here is that the term can't be enforced on someone else's contract if the contracting parties didn't intend that term to be enforceable by the third party in the first instance. So in essence, this means that a term can be expressed in the benefit of a third party, but it precludes that third party from enforcing that benefit or contracting out the statutory provisions altogether. So the benefiting terms within the contract are only for the third party and not the whole contract. And the third party can only exercise their rights in accordance with and subject to the terms and conditions of the contract. So the contracting parties do have uh, have the option to exclude the Contracts Rights of Third Parties Act altogether and not have the option for any third party to be able to have any benefit on the contract. Now, when it comes to third party arrangements and the architect's appointment, architects need to be wary of the wording to be entered into the appointment when it comes to third party rights. This should typically include a clause stating that each and every agreement relating to or affecting the project, which has been or shall be entered into by the client uh, from time to time and disclosed to the architect. So that's roughly the wording you would need to use. So this sort of clause obliges the, the architect to perform their services in order to cause or contribute to any breach of such agreements by the client. But of course, the architect's duty only extends to reasonable skill and care and nothing beyond that. And if for any reason the client insists on using a bespoke appointment and bespoke wording, then the additional wording will need to make clear that the architect's obligation to carry out the services in compliance with any third party agreements is subject to the terms of the appointment itself taking precedence in the event of any discrepancy or conflict between the terms of the third party agreement and the appointment so the architect avoids taking on any additional unnecessary risk which may cause them liability issues so they just need to be wary if um, third party rights are included in the appointment that they don't take on any unnecessary risk So if for any reason the client doesn't agree to this, to add um, the additional wording to protect the architect, then the architect should insist on an additional fee to cover the potential risk and that any services provided under the appointment may cause um, or contribute to a breach of the third party agreement or at least add additional wording to the appointment that only a breach of the appointment or negligence would fall within the scope of the obligation 
not just the architect's performance of services. So uh, if for any reason anything does come up with a third party, the architect has allowed for additional fees to be covered in terms of their insurance or to cover any additional costs they might incur to be able to capture whatever problems or issues come up with the third parties. So the architect should also ensure that their obligation in relation to third party agreements is only effective to the extent that the architect has received a copy of the agreement before starting their services. So they shouldn't start until they have that agreement to hand. And as the architect um, can't be expected to carry out the services in compliance with a document they haven't seen or agreed to, and they should be entitled to recover additional costs of redoing any services required by the third party agreement. So a third party might come on board and ask for the architect to change um, the design or some of the drawings or some of the specifications. So the architect needs to be protected in case this happens. So you should be very careful with the wording entered into the appointment to make sure that all of these issues are captured accordingly. So linking to the previous episode on collateral warranties, what are the differences between collateral warranties and third parties? So the majority of bespoke forms offer options for the client to request either collateral warranties or third party rights. So depending on the third party's um, preference, the client will typically go with the preferred option which meets uh, their requirements depending on the requirements of the project. Now, when it comes to architects, some PI insurers aren't too keen on insuring third-party rights and prefer architects go down the collateral warranties route. But even if the PI insurers agree to the third-party rights, the architect should still be wary um, of these rights because once the third-party right obligation has been agreed in the appointment, there's no turning back. So if the client gives a third-party notice, the architect will need to decide whether they're willing to agree or not. Um, and this is also uh, the case when agreeing to a collateral warranty. But until the architect actually signs the agreement, the proposed collateral warranty can't be enforced uh, on the architect, unlike third party rights. So third party rights are a simple and straightforward way of vesting rights in purchasers and tenants. Uh, avoiding problems created by the need to secure the execution of collateral warranties. But funders in general, however, tend to prefer collateral warranties because of their provision of the step-in right, which we um, discussed in the previous episode. So purchasers and tenants don't necessarily have a preference of either, as both methods grant them the rights they require. So generally it's down to who the third party is and what the project consists of. So a few reasons why third party rights may not be preferable may be due to the construction industry in general being more familiar with collateral warranties uh, because collateral warranties are a separate contract between the parties and it's not included within the, the agreement or the contract. Subcontractors um, tend to prefer collateral warranties uh, because they're more familiar with them. So extra time and negotiations will be required if um, you are to go down the third party rights route. And it could result in a time consuming and expensive process uh, 
um, to explain and set the relevant requirements for third parties with subcontractors. Now, if uh, third party rights were to be used with subcontractors, the third party clauses will need to be included and reviewed in each and every single subcontract to meet um, what that subcontractor requires. And last but not least, as already mentioned, some banks and funders tend to prefer collateral warranties. So to quickly sum up what I discussed today, the Contracts Rights of Third Parties Act 1999 was introduced to change the law on privity of contract, which provides that a person who is not a party to a contract will be entitled to enforce a term of the contract and to achieve this, the third party rights clause is enabled in the appointment. Then we have when a beneficiary is identified in the appointment by name, class or description, the client will give notice to the architect of their obligations to be extended to the beneficiary. So the architect does have the right to object to this agreement. However, if the beneficiary is within the scope of the third party right obligation, the architect can't do anything at this stage to deny the granting of the third party rights. It is possible to exclude third party rights from the conditions of the appointment, preventing third parties bringing claims against the architect. And as an architect, before agreeing or signing anything, first check and confirm your PI insurer's position and preference. So that roughly covers what I wanted to cover today on rights of third parties. I would recommend you read the Contracts Rights of Third Parties Act uh, 1999, which is uh, on the government website. And I'll um, include a link in the episode notes for you to be able to access. So I would recommend just spending a bit more time uh, reviewing that and reviewing more about these in the relevant um, books and reading material you have been assigned. Uh, I've also provided a bit more resourcing uh, in the episode notes uh, so you can understand a little bit more about um, third party rights and when and how these should be used. And that concludes today's episode. If you would like to get in contact with me, please feel free to email me on the address provided in the show notes. Thank you for listening. This is an educational show aimed at supporting the future generation of architects. The information, opinions and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only and any reliance on the information provided in this podcast is done at your own risk. Please join me next week for some more part three with me time.